week's action show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 442. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, guess what? We got a big show today. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, Noah flips his lid. He had his final last straw, camel's back, all of that. He goes down the dark, nightmarish path that led him to ripping Ubuntu off of his production systems this weekend, and he takes us along for the ride, and it is quite a journey. So that's coming up, but before that, we're going to talk about less... Pass, no, not LastPass, LessPass. It's the new syncless password manager that all of the open source kids are raving about. Oracle's back going after Google and the $4 computer. Is it really a Raspberry Pi killer? And is it even legit? We'll talk about that. Plus, we've got great feedback. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we have? We have the picks. You got it. You got it. Also, we have what appears to be Movember on Noah's face. That or a little bit of dirt. I'm not sure. A little, <laughs> nice, man. The chat room noticed right away. They totally caught, called it out. The Gillette Styler is helping me out. So I was really excited by our first pick this week. The Runs Linux was sent in to me by several different people in the subreddit and on the Twitters, and uh, it definitely tugs at my heartstrings. The NES Classic, the device that's about to ship from Nintendo that is preloaded with a bunch of NES games, like 30 of them, Runs Linux. It's a single board PC wrapped up in an NES style housing that runs Linux. Uh, and it's actually not a not a horrible system either. It's got a quad core ARM Cortex A7 CPU. Uh, it has uh, 256 gigabytes of DDR3 RAM and 512 megabytes of NAND flash. And uh, I'm not sure. It's probably clocked. The processor's probably clocked at about 1.25 gigahertz. And it has a dual core Mali 400 GPU. And uh, that's pretty neat. But check this out. In the menu system, and this is on uh, Gamesplain's uh, YouTube channel, here in the menu system, you can see they have a legal notices area. There's a legal notices screen, including an open source software screen, interestingly. So, wow, this is, look how long that is. Jeez. That's the GPL. (laughs) Who's going to read this? Well, Richard Stallman would. That's who. That's the GPL that's built into the menu of the NES Classic. This thing, Noah, is so cool. This thing yeah. is like I, 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 you know, I was kind of, I was like, geez, my retro, the retro nerd in me, like, wants to have this machine again. I'd mm-hmm. like to have those thirty games. And if the price is right, now that I know it runs Linux, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna get you one. You know, Nintendo is really smart for jumping on board with this for a couple of reasons. The yeah. first thing is that stands out to me is like you have a a really they they left a market. Uh, sitting on the table, there's a bunch of people that, that bought NES because they liked the games and they wanted to keep playing NES games. But then when tro- the controllers started to become obsolete and the game systems themselves started to become obsolete and the cartridges stopped working, then people moved on to emulators. And so Nintendo was missing out on a bunch of this potential revenue. And so to jump on board and say, all right, you know what? Instead of fighting against you guys and, and suing anyone that tries to you know infringe on our copyright or whatever, no, we're going to take it and we're going to emulate the games for you and we'll provide you with a set-up box that you can just buy at the store that's fully licensed and you don't have to if you're one of those people that are worried about 
you know, pirating games or whatever. You don't have to be because this is, you know, fully licensed. And and now they can they can carry on that Nintendo legacy and people can play their games and they can leverage the power of open source. And yeah. Linux. And, you know, also the other thing, Noah, is like with Cody boxes, like we've been talking about recently and, and other, other set top boxes like my Android TV. I can run a Super Nintendo emulator. I can run MAME right, right. or all, any of them right there on my television. So this is starting to reach the masses now. So it's smart for them to jump on this. And this machine's powerful enough. In fact, it technically, ironically, may be more powerful than a Nintendo 3DS, the model they're shipping right now, uh, according to some benchmarks. But, it would have to be because it has to emulate, right? Yeah, not only that, but they, they allow you in the system to apply real-time effects to the video. And of course, you don't want to have any latency with the controls when you're applying video effects in real time. They do things like sure. they'll, they'll re-emulate a CRT if you want to do that on your on your LCD television, they'll make it look like a CRT. And they, uh, they have a couple other modes. Uh, so, yeah, you'd think so. But other people are also speculating that this board is probably powerful enough that if Nintendo decides to shoot to, to ship a uh, like a, a Super Nintendo classic, it'll probably just be based on this. If they wait too long, they might just yeah. update, it, update it inevitably. But uh, kind of cool. I can't wait to get one myself because I'd love to see the underlying Linux system. That's what I'll tell I you mean. what. Here's this has been a dream of mine for years. So Nintendo, if you're listening, listen up. I'm gonna give you a million dollar idea: a portable pocket size Nintendo 64. Yeah, but yeah. I'm waiting for it. Well, I can play Goldeneye. Just You'll never it. see me again. Just do it. You know what I just got? I just got. Speaking of, uh, this is totally a, this is a bonus pick. I, I I should probably save it. I should save this. This is so good. I should save this. You know, I'm well. Oh, I've already said too much. So I'll just do it now. So I'm not way. I'm not a jerk. You made me think of it though. It's your fault. You're making me spoil content. I just installed uh, something called Brutal Doom 64 on my system upstairs, and Brutal Doom 64 is the port of Doom for the Nintendo 64. But like all other things we love, they've gone through and they've spiced up the graphics a bit, so it actually looks pretty cool. Sorry for the random gunshots there. Uh, we're watching Doom. But here's the other thing that's really cool, Noah, is uh, you might appreciate this after this week's episode. You can just download the entire freaking game in the Arch user repository if you're an Arch user. It pulls down the data packs and everything. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so by the way, that's, my, that's a random extra bonus pick there. Is, uh, it's called... Uh, Brutal Doom 64, and you can find it with a, oh, you know what, I'll put the link in the show notes because the URL's crazy. Man, look at me, I'm just giving everything away. Crazy Chris is giving it all away. Brutal Doom 64. I was actually going to play it for a couple of weeks and then make it an app pick. So I just did a, I just did a little early. And I'm putting it in there right now. We've also got links to the uh, NES Classic as well as a review of the NES Classic and that video where they, not only do they show you the, the uh, G- uh, GNU license in the menu, but uh, they also go through and play about 15, 20 of the games. So it's kind of nice. It's kind of cool to see that. Yeah. You know what else is kind of cool, no? And by kind of, I mean a lot of cool. And that's our first sponsor this week, DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean and use our promo code. Here's the thing. All one word, lowercase. You apply it to your account once you've created one. And then you get a $10 credit. Now, that's lovely because their droplets are $5 a month. So you can run a droplet at $5 for two months for free or take advantage of their hourly pricing, which is crazy nuts. They have a great infrastructure, all with SSD storage. So every droplet you deploy, from the cheapest to the high end, all SSD. You can get block storage. There's highly available storage that you can add in blocks up to you know, one gigabyte to 16 terabytes. You can have team accounts, and they have a simple API to wrap it all. But my favorite freaking feature, even multiple years into DigitalOcean now, is this interface. It's clean, it's slick, it's powerful, and it's just as damn good as if it was a 
full desktop application that somebody had created for their own proprietary solution that only connected on a Windows box. And you might know who I'm talking about, sysadmins sys out there. No, DigitalOcean has a legit interface that works on any of your devices. I was just on my phone in DigitalOcean a couple of days ago, and they have an HTML5 console, which is really nice, doesn't require like Flash or Java, and allows you to do some super fancy stuff. Arch! Arch! Oh, shoot, I had a little... I had a little arch stuck in my throat. Uh, anyways, they also have great documentation. I'd encourage you to check that out. Not all of it's even specific to DigitalOcean, like installing OwnCloud on CentOS, using Docker Compose on Ubuntu, or configuring NextCloud or Nginx or Py- Python 3, or hell, even protecting your server from the cow Linux vulnerability. Dirty freaking cow Linux vulnerability. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. They got data centers all over the world. If you're using containers or if you want a machine built from scratch... Go there, spin one up, and be impressed by how damn fast they are. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay, Noah. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about this first pick because I was just giving a shout-out to the sysadmins. And if you got a few droplets, you could really use this. You don't have to be a sysadmin. Or if you got a lot of servers, this is going to be crazy, crazy useful. It's called SSH Power Tool, and it enables you to execute commands and upload files to many servers simultaneously without having to go through all of the hassle of setting up keys first. So if you don't have the time, yes, exactly. If you don't have the time or you only do it a couple of times, this is super nice. Uploaded files and commands can be executed via directly or via sudo. Connection and command execution results are output in standard CSV format for easy importing to spreadsheets, databases, or just your average run-of-the-mill data mining application. It can be used immediately with, you don't have to spend enormous amounts of time setting up pre-shared keys if you've got a bunch of systems. A server without a pre-shared key is a huge security risk, so... uh, or with pre-shared keys can be a security risk if the machine gets compromised. So that's also kind of nice if you're a little concerned about your machine getting compromised. Uh, however, I, I, if I was doing a lot, I would use keys myself. But that's a, that's a consideration well, like from a why? shared why, laptop. Why would you use keys yourself? Because it's been around longer, you trust it more? No, no. I like using I think it's. I think you can use both keys and passwords. I, my, I think the point that they're making here is the one that I ran into in the past, which is uh, there was one admin console where three or four people used it. And that's where we had all the keys set up and all that kind of stuff. And there's no accountability in that kind of setup. So if depending on the machine, sometimes having pre-shared keys ready to go set up with no password, with a passwordless login, uh, it's not actually always the best thing. It's very convenient. And the reason why we did it is we needed a system where we could have a series of bash scripts and the admin would come up and they would just type dot slash in the name of the bash script, hit enter, and it would connect to a whole bunch of systems and shut them down and stuff like that right. for emergency situations. Sure. And that's how we used it. Uh, but I think it's actually, uh, I think it's actually probably just nice, even if you just wanted to execute like app get update on three or four systems, possibly, mm-hmm. and you know didn't have the time to sell this stuff up. So it's very nice. It's called SSH Power Tool. I have a link in the show notes. It's hosted on Google Code right now, and it does require Python and obviously SSH and Python Crypto Toolkit as well. So that is my pick for the desktop. But are you That's ready? For excellent. The, I like it. I'm going to end up using it. Are you I'm ready for the spotlight? Are you ready for this? I am. I'm, I'm not ready. so sure this is going to be my solution. And I have okay. a couple other ones. In fact, I'll talk about one more next week. I got like three contenders right now for personal good documentation and note-taking. I'm always trying to look for a good Evernote replacement, something like that. And this Something like Simple Note. Something like Simple Note that actually works for me. I would love to use Simple Note, but I have a real bad problem with it syncing. I, got, I, have, uh, I just get burned a lot with that. Uh, I don't know. You don't have that, which is great, but I do. 
Well, I, a lot of times I just use it the web browser. That sounds tedious, man. I want a desktop app. I want a, I want an, I don't want a mobile app. But I'm thinking about it. I'm actually considering it. So this is Grook. It's a note-taking service, a space where you can share and store notes, tutorials, code snippets, and they're all formatted in Markdown. And uh, you can host it on your own box. I love the fact that it's all marked. Uh, it's all Markdown. And I like that individual notes can be marked as uh, public if you want them to, but they're private by default. You can have comments on notes. You can also connect it with your uh, GitHub or Twitter or Google account if you want to do login authentication that way, which is nice. And they're going to be developing client-side encryption in the future as well. So, and they'll also support file and picture embeds in the notes in the future as well. But that's their, they don't, they're, they're little, they're little, it's still a little early days for some of that stuff. The UI is actually pretty nice. It's just a good, flat, sortable list like Google Docs used to be before the UI got all crazy. Kind of <laughs> reminded me of early days of Google Docs where the UI was just sort of... Uh, uh, Listed out from date of creation or date you accessed it. And uh, it also, it's sort of like a paste bin type interface, but with a, a little bit nicer UI. And you can render the markdown in real time, which I think is super nice for preview. Yeah, and uh, there you go. You can tag stuff too, which obviously makes sense. So this is Gruik, I think is how you say it. G-U-R, no, G-R-U-I-K. Um, it's got a cool little piggy as a logo. Gruik. And I think that's one of, uh, one of three contenders, one of three, and I'll reveal the other two next week. But that's uh, so that's really kind of a kind of an out there serv- uh, kind of an out there approach to like hosting my own versus using something you use like right. Evernote. I know you're a big Evernote and Simple Note guy because you like I hosted solutions, ev- you like cloud based solutions a lot, and I'm looking for yeah. something I could host myself. So I know it's not quite your thing, but uh, I'll let you know how I it goes. Evernote in a year. I'm all Simple Note. I'm sorry, I can't hear you through all that Simple Note cloud hosting you're using. Hey, by the way, uh, something has finally happened. It's finally arrived. Big news, everybody. No, not me leaving for a week. Not that. No, no, no. The last Super Key stickers are shipping in the month of November. So we got we got uh, Super Key stickers that go right over your Windows logo shame or your Apple logo shame. No judgment. And here's the cool part. We're going to give them away for free. We're going to give them away for free with uh, purchases of a last sticker. Nice. For the month of November. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash stickers. Now, uh, if you'd like to help us out and grab a couple of stickers, we probably make some money after you buy two stickers. <laughs> so if you want to get three. <laughs> uh, but also, hey, did you did I tell you that we now have a nice die cut round user error sticker? Check that out, man. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, isn't that cool? And by the way, do you know the user error artwork is inspired by a Linux desktop? I'll leave it to the audience to figure out which one. But the user error artwork is actually inspired by... Uh, by a Linux desktop error message. And the, uh, we also have Linux Unplugged, TechSnap, I love because it's die cut. And we also have that round Noah switched me to Linux sticker, which has the Google Glass on there, which is now getting retro mm-hmm. for you. Getting retro. Yeah. Hello. I, 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 there is somebody in the audience that is supposedly sending me a replacement one so no that I can, uh, I can go. Yeah, I know. So I can go back to, to wearing, uh, wearing Google Glass. So if that happens, I will have them here. Damn, the dude. End. With a new haircut, growing out a beard and Google Glass, you are going to be stylish in November. I'm looking forward it. to this. I know. It. Also, You're we got screwed. a, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this before, we got a Red Rocket, a Jupiter Broadcasting Red Rocket. So if you want to get oh, yourself. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, that is new. That's the rocket in the last logo, but it just says Jupiter Broadcasting across it. I actually have one on my, uh, on my monitor. Let's see if I, uh, Right there. You see it? I have it under the, uh, right there. I got it under my monitor right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyways, by the way, super key stickers. Your rocket is going the wrong way, by the way. It should be going up. It's going yeah. You know, I don't want you, I, I show you my rocket. The first time I show you my rocket and you criticize it immediately. You immediately criticize I, my rocket. I don't I'm even. Just I, I'm I, just saying it's pointing the wrong way. I just can't. That's, no, I just can't. So if anyways, for the month time. of November, if you get a Linux action show round sticker, you get a super key. I don't know if she's giving you the color ones 
or the black and white. So I hope she's figured that out. If you can we say, have colored, yeah, we have colored stickers and we have black and we have black and white, which is you know for different key styles. Uh, I don't know if, if PayPal lets you put a note in the transaction. Otherwise, you could email our Angela at Jupiter Broadcasting if you care. For, uh, grab a couple stickers that'll make it worth your time. Just saying. <laughs> you don't have to. But for free for the Linux Action Show sticker. Uh, now, I got one more thing to mention. I'm going to be in California next weekend. California. And I would love to do a meetup. I, I might change this time. I might. And I could screw everybody over. But uh, right now, what I figured is uh, we're going to pre record next week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And I'm like, it's going to be, I'm already excited about it. And we, we're going to, so that way when I'm in California, we don't have to worry about missing the show or anything like that. So what I'm thinking right now is the time that I would normally do the Linux action show on a Sunday at noon, I'll do my meetup. And uh, there's this, there's this Chinese restaurant that has tons of good reviews. It was recommended to us by a friend. Yeah. And they are, they're known uh, nationally, I'm told, for their dumplings. I don't know if I'm going to get dumplings, but I guess they're known nationally for their dumplings. So if you would like to go meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting and sign up, but there's also a link in the show notes. I would love to say hi. I may end up changing the day and time, so do kind of subscribe so you get notifications about that uh, because that all could be in flux depending on how Meet BSD goes and how drunk those BSD guys get me. If I'm really hung up, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but those uh, BSD guys do party, I'm told. But they party like in the ty- kind of party that I like where they sit down at like a nice restaurant and just eat really good food and they talk about like Unix and stuff. That's that's not – but – And dude, let me tell you, their parties, they get wild. They no, bring, bring I'm not the saying caffeinated beverages. I'm not saying it's block. like – I'm not saying it's anything like a self-party where – I'm not saying it's like that. But what I'm saying is, or, is uh, I'm going to go in there. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to implant myself in their little BSD hive. And I'm just going to get a sense for how the other side lives. Just going to get a sense for what they do, how they act, what they think, where they're communicating. Because you know, you know what I've discovered, Noah, a couple of times, and I hope none of them are watching this. I don't want to give them a heads up. Uh, oh, hold on, hold on. I'm getting, a, I'm getting a live update from the back office about keyboard stickers. But I'm planning to, to, to make them think that, uh, you know, they can talk to me. They can open up to me. Because when you peel back the BSD community curtain... Mm-hmm. You discover there's a wild, wild situation under the hood. Uh, there's so, only seven of them all together. Keyboard stickers are available at no charge with any order that contains last stickers. One white and one black will be included in the order for November only while supplies last. There you go. From the back office directly, that's how you get yourself a sticker. So she'll send a black and white one. Or a, It's actually the white ones, uh, the tux is colored and the red rocket is red. So that's kind of cool. So you get both and uh, give one away for the holidays. I don't know. But that's kind of nice, right? JupiterBroadcasting.com slash stickers if you want to get that. And if you're going to be in California, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting or tweet my face at Chris LAS. I'm also going to be walking around downtown like Monday and stuff, so I might bump into people. But there you go. I'm going to, I'm going to bring you something, and I will – I don't know what something? it is. Something? Something? Out. Some sort of incentive if you can switch some of these BSD users to Linux. Hmm. We should come up with good ways I control them. But I don't want to like I don't want to give them a heads up, so we should do it probably not in the show since people oh, okay. watch the show. But yeah, that's good. I mean, you know, I'm going I'm going into they're not lions exactly. I'm going into uh, I'm going into the sloth den. No, they're not sloths either. I don't know. I'm going into some kind of den, Noah. But it's not a lion den, and it's not a sloth den. It's somewhere in between. That's the kind of den I'm going into. So who knows? Squirrels. Squirrel den? Squirrel. No, I feel like I feel like they're not squirrels either. The precious nuts. 
I'm so dumb. I'm going into the goat den. I'm going into the goat den. They even have Groff the goat. I'm going into the goat den this weekend. So we got to think ahead. What do you bring with you when you're going into the goat den? Other than a camera and a microphone. You know what I should do? Oh, I just thought of what I'm going to do. I, I'm not going to say it in the show, but maybe I'll say it. I'll say it in the in the in the li- in the live version. I'll say it. In the, okay, so that way they can. The people, I got an idea though. It's going to be good. No, it's going to be good. All right, let's go do the news. the news this episode is brought to you by ting.com go to last.ting.com support the show and get yourself a 25 dollars discount no and i we just love the s out of ting we've been customers for a few years now and part of it is really that it's mobile that just makes sense i think that this would be how they'd have to do it today if if the mobile industry could reboot you only pay for what you use and there's no contract so you don't buy into like well i need 600 minutes because i might make a phone call you don't you don't gotta play that game you don't gotta play that you just go over there you just pay for what you use this month, this will probably be a high-ish month for me because I might make phone calls this month. So that's going to be average. It's going to be more than I average out. And I'm totally okay with that. So maybe I'll pay 45 bucks total for three lines this month. And next month, I'll pay like 30 bucks. I love how Ting just kind of averages it all out because I only pay for my usage, my minutes, my messages, and my megabytes. That's it. And I tell you what, it is so handy just to be able to go over to the Ting website and pick up a SIM card. Uh, uh, who am I telling? Noah knows this too. Noah's the guy that he watches for like the SIM card sales, and then he leaps into action. One dollar sale, baby. Buy him ten or twenty at a time. <laughs> he really does too. <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's great. When I run into people and I yeah. say, "Hey, you should switch the, to to Ting," and then like, they go, boom. "Well, I would love to switch to Ting, and their pricing is amazing." But you know, the thing is, like, there's no store that I can go buy a SIM card. And I'm like, "Well, here, here, here's what's up." And then I hand them a SIM card. Yeah, it's so it's like, nice yeah, too because really, I don't at nine bucks. I'm like, "Well, I can do that," and they're primable too, which is kind of nice. But they, so that's the nice thing about Ting actually is you can buy stuff directly from the Ting store. Um, mm-hmm. which is really handy. Or you can just go get something that's compatible. they got a BYOD page. They have a CDMA and GSM network, so there's a lot of options. And you can just bring something, and if you go to last.ting.com, they'll just take that $25 discount they're going to apply to your device, and they'll just apply it to your account balance. And the average Ting phone for one line, average bill, is $23 a month. That's crazy. That's crazy. And they're going to give you a $25 credit, sort of like it did for me, because I got a credit when I first signed up. It'll pay for more than your first month. And there's nothing like that. When you've been paying $125 a month or some crazy crap like that for wireless, it feels so good to get this under control. It, and, and then they give you the tools and they give you great customer service that are really, really, really above and beyond everybody else. And one of the, one of the other nice things now I can say as a Ting customer for like three freaking years now is Ting does something that I think every carrier should do. And I'm kind of surprised that they don't get called out for it more often. And I, I've experienced this before I had switched to Ting. And it was a, one time I had called up and I had just had it. And I'm like, you know what? I am done with you, carrier. Uh, you have overcharged me for this. This doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, well, sir, I've looked at your plan. And I, <laughs> oh, well, look at this. You actually qualify for a $15 a month promotion if, you, if I signed you up for one of our current plans. Now, that will, of course, engage a two-year agreement. So uh, would you like to go ahead and take $15 a month off your plan? And my thinking is, first of all, why didn't you just give me that when you rolled it out? 
Why didn't you just give that to me when you rolled it out? And second of all, why do I have to renew some sort of agreement? That sounds like a contract. And what I love about yeah, Ting, they don't, they don't call it. They, they they actually tell you. They'll say they'll be it's like, it's not a contract. We don't, do, we don't do contracts. We don't do contracts. We just you sign an agreement. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. a piece of paper that, yeah. that stipulates terms, and we both sign it. That is like the very definition I'm of like, contract. Why, why do I have to sign a new one? I already have an agreement with you. Why do I have to sign a new one to get stuff that you were just giving to people that sign up now? And I can tell, I could definitely tell you, there has not been a, there has been several times now with ting where i where they rolled something out and i i didn't even have to think about it like i just got it like there i didn't get it wasn't like something i had to call up and ask for and and i in fact this this latest one they done it's it's saving everybody money data is now cheaper on ting from now on prices look like this need more it's just ten dollars a gig that's what new customers pay that's what current customers pay it's simple we like simple See for yourself at ting.com slash rates. I like this. So take a look at this. So it's it's super easy to understand. You start with this. You get you get a set amount of data. It's super easy. And if you end up needing more, the pricing scale is so simple and straightforward. It's some of the best data pricing now in the industry. Go to last.ting.com to sign up. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Lots of excitement about less pass. L-E-S-S, pass. They call themselves the next generation, open source, password manager. Stop wasting your time. I don't really consider it a lot of big time waste, but stop wasting your time synchronizing your encrypted vault. Uh, they offer. No, not, that's kind of a funny. This is this is that thing again where like you you're clearly not on board with something and you do your best to hide it and it just kind of sneaks in there. Well, okay, you're, that's what you're giving me is the time savings of not having to sync LastPass. I've never. I've never had to push a button. Like it doesn't it doesn't take any time. Like it's just a funny thing to like that's what you open with? Okay. Okay. Should have called Chris. Next time call Chris. So, uh I do like this though. There's no database at all. There's no database. You don't so you don't have to like roll your own sync thing solution or whatever. You, you don't have you don't have a database. Because they're basing your password for each site off off its domain and your master password. So, that's that's sort of nice. When you don't have to solve that storage problem, it really does open up the doors. Also, it's nice that it's just fully open source. The code's up on GitHub for my password. I like that as a password manager. So there are things I like about this. They have a Chrome and a Firefox extension. I think this might have been the top voted topic in our Linux Action Show subreddit this week, and Linux users are talking about it a lot. Now, it does have a few nice things. It has a hosted component but you can host it yourself if you want. And you you have to have a hosted component for this to work perfectly. Um, and so I do really appreciate that they they offer their own service or they let you just host your own like on a droplet or something. And that's, I think, full stop, a great feature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are, however, uh, some fundamentals that are probably long-term not good. So uh, if anyone ever compromises your master password and they they basically at that point have your passwords for every website that you have a you've used this thing to generate passwords for because the passwords hold on the passwords are based off of the URL and your master password and here's the here's the other thing there is a very easy to understand Revision it does when you need to generate a new password. So you also can pragmatically generate every password that this password tool will ever generate for a website 
based on the domain and your master password. So if you feel like your password for one particular site's been compromised, if they've compromised your master password for LessPass, they can generate the future passwords that LessPass will generate for you for that website. So there, there is a lot of there is a lot to like about LessPass, but there's also a few other issues, um, all of which Alan Jude really just totally breaks down very well in the coming week's episode of TechSnap. And on top of that, he filed a bug with them to cover the stuff that he considers to be issues and has already submitted it as an issue to their GitHub. Um, but I, before you go all in on LessPass, I, I implore you to watch the next episode of TechSnap. That'll come, it's coming out the week that we're, this episode comes out. Um, because there are so, some there are some decisions that they need to rethink, and it's not too late because it's kind of a new enough product that they could make this. But if they mm-hmm. fix the things that Alan brings up in TechSnap, uh, you will probably have to regenerate all your passwords. So, so the second part I agree with. The first part, though, if you're not using two factor authentication, how is that any different from LastPass? I've always said with LastPass, in, if you're not using two factor, in so some ways the, it's less secure. Than the piece using you're missing. Password. The piece you're missing is. Um, it all the, the the really bad part is is you can guess all of the future passwords that this thing will generate. Yeah, I so got that. That pass, part I agree with. So last pass, part, though, when LastPass you, generates a password, it's totally random characters. Right. And, yeah, yeah, no, I got that. Yeah. But what I'm your first part where you said if you if they compromise your master password, then they have the and they know what the they know what the domains are, then they have the password to every site. It's the same exact thing as if I got into somebody's last. But they password. will they could generate passwords for sites that you've also never even been to yet. So say uh, you know some new like Twitter like service comes along, they can go there and pre generate the very password that you will be generating. So there's 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 a there's there's issues that you don't have Which in a LastPass yeah, sure. or and it, it replace last. LastPass in this discussion with KeePass. KeePass, mm-hmm. same thing. KeePass is better, is more secure in this particular situation because it's randomly generating that sure. password, not based on a master password and a domain. Mm-hmm. So you can't predict what it would generate in the future. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. There's also other issues, but overall, I think this is a pretty great project, and I, I bet you that if they take his bug submissions and they address some of these things, this could be one of the best password managers out there. I mean, no database to have to fuss with, and uh, the fact that it's open source means you could probably get a good, decent selection of mobile apps to choose from that work well, and uh, you could even see getting integrated into desktop environments in future and crap like that. No. Really, if I mean, like the database less thing is is cool, I guess, if they can figure out a way to make that secure. But yeah. really, I'd be perfectly happy with LastPass, but I could host it myself and it's open source. If I could get that, yeah. that would be like, I mean, if I could just go to a droplet and install a, you know, a, a LastPass, you know, manager thing, so I'm not relying on their stupid service, and then it was all the code is open source. Yeah, of course, that's not going to make them probably the money they want or whatever. And no, you know, no. it's interesting that as this has picked up traction this last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, LogMeIn or whoever owns LastPass now, they uh, made the mobile sync stuff all free. You don't have to be like a premium user anymore to get that. So they've 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 made they've made more features that used to be only premium features available for free to sort of I think Welcome be a little more competitive. Capitalism. This is what happens when the yeah. free market competes. I you know what I would love to see with I would oh man if they would just open if LastPass open source the server component the hosted because it's yeah. it's just syncing yeah. an encrypted database right so mm-hmm, what's the problem mm-hmm. if it's syncing an encrypted database there shouldn't be an issue to having an open yeah. source self hosted component and I think they could do that even if they did something like PlexPass where pro users could get people that pay like in PlexPass you get early features and you get some features not available for free but the core server component is still free. 
I don't know. I, I mean, I just I'm for the I'm all for the making money, but for goodness' yeah, me sakes, too. I give just, me a cell phone to last pass over. I'm I'm all for the making money too. I just I don't think that it should. I, I'm just the the freemium model kind of thing where you have to where some people get some. I don't. If if I could buy those things outright, like if I could pay like a one time five thousand dollar fee, but then I had the then I had the server component and the the, the sync thing and two factor and stuff like that, that I'd be okay with. But even if it's like three dollars a year, I just I don't like the fact that somebody holds a carrot over my head and says, "Here to get to your passwords, you, you got to pay us the three dollars." And that happened to me. I had a bunch of stuff in LastPass. It was secured with two factor, and then all of a sudden they changed the model, so you had to pay for two factor. I can't log in without. I don't like it. Yeah. So I'm 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 I am as Noah would say, I'm hungry for something new. You'd say that, right, Noah? You no, you I wouldn't. S- I said that once. Okay. Yeah, I'm hungry for something new, so I'm keeping my eye on less pass, but I do encourage you to check out the coming TechSnap first before you do it, because uh, Alan does a great job of breaking it, breaking it all down. Now, I do believe I predicted this one, and ours, however, has a different take than I do, so we'll see. But I do I believe I called this Oracle is back in court, or going back in court. They want to go back after that whole API copyright decision that came down in Google's favor. I told you they'd be appealing, and I told you if they appeal and they win, the Google victory we had a couple of months ago is going to be washed away. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. So Oracle's going back into court. Now, here's, here's why I'm a little concerned. The court they're going back into for retrial is the original court that declared APIs as copyrightable. Now, ours points out there's a caveat The same court said that in some cases there's fair use with APIs, and so they can can, uh, use the fair use clause for copyright. So maybe Google or maybe Oracle has a chance here. Oracle looks like, based on pre-documents we've gotten before they got into court, they're they're kind of uh, setting up to uh, say that the jury didn't have any idea what the hell they were talking about and that some of the instructions they were given were totally improper. And they may also argue that the evidence presented at trial was so overwhelming that nobody could have really parsed it, and so they just found Google in favor. Um, So that might be the tack that Oracle takes. We'll see. This court has been sort of more favorable to Oracle in the past, and they have in the past that APIs are copyrightable, but because they also said there's fair use, the same court... We don't really know how this is going to go, but I knew this would happen. I remember I got so much crap after I said this is actually not a good decision. Uh, this whole this whole uh, case is not necessarily a good thing, even though everybody everybody focused on APIs being copyrightable and didn't didn't focus on the fact that there was wholesale ripoff uh, from what what Google did. So, so they just and the evidence is in the in Google's own emails where they admit to it. In their own emails. So if Oracle is able to bring any of those emails into this trial, it's it's just going to for sure go to uh, to Oracle. Because in the emails, many times, Google's like, we should be buying a license for this. We're going to have to fight this in court. We have three options. We either buy a license, we build our own tech, or we just hope that nobody notices it for a while and we fight it in court. And that's in their own internal communications. So there's no way if that's brought in as evidence, there's just, I can't see Google winning. It's like they got they got Hillary Clinton WikiLeaks over here. The issue is is what they looked at was uh, they didn't look at that evidence in the last trial, and that's why I felt like Oracle was going to go back and fight this. And I, I don't know that you got a lot a lot of crap for saying that. Oracle oh, I did, I did because ever because no. what what I got crap for was saying that I didn't think it was a good decision. I right, right, but that's that's different from that Oracle's going to go. Plenty of places oh, yeah, go back yeah. and fight. You know, because yeah, what you do what, in business. Is you here's the problem: is that Oracle's a bastard. And everybody in the open source community is like all anti-Oracle these days. 
Uh, and and Google is the uh, second coming of Linus Torvalds, raining open source down on our heads all the time, and, and and patting our little heads and telling us thank you for the code and shipping I don't know Android. If I agree with that, but like ninety nine percent of their stuff works on Linux, so also present. So I, I feel like when you hear these two names, our our lizard brains kick in, and we go mm-hmm. Oracle bad, Google good, Google must win, and we completely are ignoring the fact that they themselves admitted to guilt here, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we just totally put blinders on, and that drives me crazy, and it's preventing us from taking a further look at this particular court case, and I think we could have a major backslide if Oracle wins this retrial. And I think they're vulnerable. I think Google's vulnerable. We'll see. Depends on what gets brought in as evidence. Okay. All right. Okay. I I I don't know how how one is. I don't. I I there. I have a lot of different views on this, but a lot of them can just be summed up in like the Ford Pinto, right? Like companies make decisions in their own rational self-interest based on economics. And so in the Ford Pinto case, they just decided that it was cheaper to pay off lawsuits than it is to actually fix cars that explode. And that's – we're quick to be like, oh, how could they do that? But yeah. it's – they're in business to make money. You know so what Google's going to do see? the same thing. They did you a know, calculation. They, fa- they thought it was cheaper to fight this than it was to buy the license. You know what would be a great result? I think what would be uh, really fun and exciting is if Google just said, well, all right, well, you know what? Mm. And we're, we're jumping to Android 10. They pull, they pull a Microsoft and they jump all the way to version 10. I don't care. This is just the fun part. And they announce the transition from, uh, from Java to like I don't know what. Swift. No. <laughs> Swift. Swift. No, dude. And then Apple does all their heavy lifting. Maybe. Maybe. That'd be pretty funny. That would be. Or Go. Go would be a good choice. Something. Right? That would be like the most exciting thing to come out of this is Google's like, all right, here you go, little Oracle. Here's your bill. Thanks for the last uh, eight years. We're switching to Go or Swift or whatever. I think that would be so cool and badass if Google did that. That's deep down what I'd love to see from this because I do feel like Google ripped them off and I do feel like Java's Java was picked for really boring not all that good reasons. Well, and it's these also revealed in their emails. Google chose Java because they just wanted to have a lot of app developers and they were afraid they couldn't compete with the iPhone fast enough if they used their own language. So they went with Java because they just had a huge developer base at the time. Not because it saved battery life, not because it had good performance on mobile, none of that. They just wanted to get as many developers as possible so they could compete with Apple. And it's so boring. I would love to see them switch to something cooler. This next thing is cool, though. I, I never got my hands on the VOCore 1, but you, you may have heard of the $4 computer for, com, the $4 computer before, and they have a new one now called the Core 2. Sounds kind of cool. VOCore is a smart router. It contains a USB host, a micro SD slot, an Ethernet port, and an audio jack. For $4. We carefully designed its antennas to fit in such a small box, but with excellent signal strength. It runs Linux, and you can directly control its core, simply connect it to the computer. But Vocore is more than that. We can use it to play wireless music with just a few clicks. So for $4, so for $4 you could put this thing connected to any speaker on your, on, in your house, and now you've got wireless audio. Control various sensors. So he's uh, showing a sensor board now where you can say Want to DIY a wireless camera? Just plug in and play. Life could not be easier. 
It looks, it actually looks really cool. And I heard from a couple members of our community that got the first one. They actually, one guy's using it as his router at his house right now. The first $4 version of this thing. So they have an Indiegogo fundraiser right now. Uh, they don't really need your money. They've already raised a thousand percent of what they need. <laughs> but, you know, if you want one, they got 17 days left and they've raised $70,000 of a goal of $6,000. So there seems to be some interest in this. And it's nice because you can get in, like, for 39 bucks, you get the uh, you get the unit and the ultimate duck, uh, which sounds kind of cool. And it, it comes with an all-in-one shell, too. Kind of neat, I Noah. Like, I like stuff like this because I think that it puts the computer back in the hands of the people that that are really going to benefit from it. And that is the, the geeks that, that may not have a ton of money, but they are, they have a lot of brain power. And so this connects them with the technology they need to, to innovate. And I think it does kind of the same thing. It has like that raspberry Pi effect mm-hmm. where you just start seeing projects come out the wazoo. And that was a $39 computer. Imagine this $4 computer. Yeah. And on top of that, I think one thing that I've always kind of fantasized about doing is my, uh, my son is obviously he's in, he's in kindergarten now. And so, my daughter's in preschool, and so there's you know twelve or fifteen kids in her class, and there's like mm-hmm. eighteen kids in his class. I would really like to be able to bring in twenty Linux computers and mm. and let them use them and 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 you know give a brief demonstration, and then when we're done, say keep them, take them home. Have yeah, them. I'll tell you uh, what too. If you don't, and I don't, I don't mean you, I mean like proverbial you. If we don't, as Linux users, yeah. start doing stuff like this. Chromebooks are taking over. My uh, my my kids. I, I got two kids in school right now. Uh, the second grader. Every everyone in second grade has a Chromebook, their own Chromebook now. Exactly. Uh, and he's he went from never using Google Search once. I always had him on DuckDuckGo. I set up on his computer. Mm-hmm. He Google's mm-hmm. everything now. Uh, and yeah. my my daughter in kindergarten is also uh, they're bringing in Chromebooks for the kindergarten. Now they don't get to keep them like the yeah. second graders do. And I'll tell you what, if you think about it from a school district standpoint, if you had a parent volunteer coming in and helping all of the kids mm-hmm. with Raspberry Pis or V cores mm-hmm. and getting them all set up, there would be a hell of a lot less incentive when Mister Google comes knocking to get all of the kids signed up with a Google account on a Chromebook because you'd be like, you know. We've already got the second grades or whatever taken care of. Like, you would just probably expand the existing program potentially. But when right. you've got no solution in place and Mr. Google comes knocking and says, oh, we got this school account. We promise not to track the kids and we won't use the metrics we collect on them from the second grade all the way into their adult life and track it across their entire account. We promise never to do that. Oh, what we were doing that? Okay, we're not doing that anymore, but now you can give him Chromebooks for sure. And he's got a Google account, he's got a Chromebook, and he's all in, and he loves it. And I'm glad he has it. I'm like, that is, he's getting better at computers, he's typing really great, all that stuff yeah. is nice, but part of me goes, gosh, I wish, kind of wish it was just a straight-up computer that he could, he could even take home or something. And, and so kind of speaking back to the, the, the cost-effectiveness of this thing, even at the Raspberry Pi when I ran the calculations, it was almost a grand to be able to do this for my, my son's kindergarten class, and that doesn't include the displays. So uh, if so, if we're going to do that, so if we can get that down to four dollars, that becomes a lot more feasible to be able to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. So you made the comparison, but indifferently. But the, the media has been making the comparison a lot. Uh, this uh, headlines over at ZDNet: Move over a Raspberry Pi. Here comes a four dollar coin sized open source Linux computer. So this is getting pitched around a lot as a Raspberry Pi killer. A so ras- that's not. I don't think that's accurate at all. It's not. It's not meant for that. No, it's not. It's it's not a full desktop computing no, experience. Right. It's a small programmable device. Yeah, basically. it's more of a it's like a router out of a box. I mean, so here's the Vcore 2. This is their latest and greatest. 580 megahertz processor, a MediaTek. Uh 64 megabytes of RAM, 8 gigabytes of uh, NOR storage on board, and a single antenna uh slot for Wi-Fi that supports up to 150 megabits. Now, that's not bad for $4. 
It's not bad for four dollars, right? right? But it's like it's ninety-eight bucks. Yeah, it's not a Raspberry Pi killer. It's not. It's so there's been some there's so don't don't misunderstand what this thing is. But it's still a really cool little four dollars. Honestly, for four bucks, I would like to buy some for some speakers and maybe just two of them. Eight bucks, and now yeah. I've got wireless audio to buy to some of my yeah, nicer exactly. speakers. That's worth it, right? They're a cool little project. I, I I do wish though, and I haven't looked into this exactly to find out how, how this works, but I do wish there was some forethought into how we could make these purpose driven things. So, for example, wireless speakers, right? Sounds like a great idea, except when you go to actually put it in, you've got to connect the, the speakers to the little box, and so that requires an amplifier, which you got to put somewhere, and then you got to power the little box somehow. And how are we going to do that? Well, it probably has a micro USB connector on it, which means you've got to you know drape that down. Like if we could put yeah. like a little bit of foresight into this and say, let's power the thing over Ethernet, right? And like tiny little things. Tiny little tweaks like that with a little thought about how these might be used, it might really propel it. A you lot know, further. man. But you can't do that for four bucks. Hold on. I mean, what about this? So the thing, the thing can run from anywhere from three point two volts up to six volts. So you could put like a what about like a nine volt battery and just just get like a box of them every week. But I'm guessing <laughs> that, that thing probably draws a half an amp to an amp. I mean, it's like every six hours you're going to be replacing your nine volts. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have cords hanging down. <laughs> All right, it's no good. You wouldn't have cords hanging down. That's no true. good. It's no good. But it's a pretty cool project, and the Indiegogo is going for another. 17 days if you want to get one with like the ultimate dock and the little housing and all of that stuff. This this chip is just tiny. I mean, it's so this is the entire thing. If you're watching the video version, this is the entire thing. You can see there's the antenna uh, plug right there. So the Wi-Fi, the CPU, everything is on this little coin-sized chip for $4. If that doesn't feel like 2017, I don't know what does. It's, it is close. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Noah losing his S this week and switching to Arch. This week, I hit my absolute limit when it came to Ubuntu. I've been fighting with it for weeks, and this week I decided enough is enough. I'm finally switching switching to Arch. So we're going to tell you more about that. We recorded throughout the process of me switching from Ubuntu to Arch. But before that, we have to thank our friends over at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugs where you go to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. This is a platform built by Linux enthusiasts and educators and developers to help people learn about Linux. I know that their original intent was to get more people using Linux, and now Linux Academy over the years has really turned into a hell of a platform. They just recently closed another round of funding. They're constantly investing in existing content and new content. They have instructor mentoring actual human beings to help you when you need it, labs and exercises that give you hands-on scenario-based experience. They have self-paced in-depth video courses for every Linux and cloud and DevOps topic. And they got note cards that are forked and improved by the community. Community stack full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. They give you cert training or learning paths, depending on exactly what you want. They have timing where you can go in there and say, oh, just a little bit of time this week. They have timing where you can go in there and say, oh, just, a, just a couple of hours here or there. That's so nice when you're busy because you still get value out of your Linux Academy subscription. So when you got a lot of time or a little bit of time, they got something for you. And now with their public profiles, you can show your client, your employer, or yourself all of your great accomplishments. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Linux Academy, or the, the Linux Action Show. We took it from Unplugged. Punched those guys in the face and brought it over here to Linux Action Show. That's legitimately what happened because those jerks over at the Unplugged show, they don't deserve Linux Academy. But you guys, you guys do. LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. It's a show I've been doing for over 10 years. I know what show it is. All right, now we go to Noah in the past. Go, Noah! Doodle-loop, doodle-loop. 
Well, I have just had a terrible day. I was at a very important client of mine, and as you can see from the monkey attire, I was, um, we were at a meeting, and we were discussing exactly what we we're going to do for 2017, laying out a budget and a plan and stuff like that. And they brought up a couple of minor concerns to me that they wanted uh, addressed right away. And I said, no problem. Let me just jump onto the network, and I'll take a look at, at that for you right now. I opened up my laptop, and Ubuntu 16.10 networking stack totally takes a dump on me. Um, I was connected to the network, but for whatever reason, I wasn't able to send traffic past a, you know, a particular point. I wasn't able to talk to a number of devices on the network. And so... You know, I launch into troubleshooting mode, and immediately I start thinking, you know, there's a bigger problem here on this network than what they have led me to believe. And I am, of course, keeping my cool. Um, but in the back of my head, I'm panicking. I mean, something's very wrong with this network. Something needs to be addressed right away. And so I jump onto our company site and start getting, uh, you know, troubleshooting steps in place and start getting some people working on it. And they can't find anything. And they say, Everything seems to be working from here. Everything seems fine. Are, you know, you're absolutely sure. I'm, I'm looking at my computer. I know what's going on, guys. And I am in a boardroom right now with four other, you know, very important people. And they are telling me that there is an issue and that it needs to be resolved. And uh, this went on for about 40 minutes. Um, and back, tr troubleshooting in the background and trying to carry on with this meeting until eventually I find out there's nothing wrong with their network. Um, there were some issues that needed to be addressed. It was totally unrelated to the issues that I was having with their network, and it was a problem with Ubuntu. And uh, so tonight, this is it. I have had it. I have had it with um, Ubuntu. I, this, is the, this, this is the final straw. And I've been putting this off for a long time. I did a fresh install of Ubuntu 16.10. And the thing, I am a very unique person because on one hand, I am very, very Walmart, very, very generic of what I expect out of my computer. I need the terminal to work. I need Thunderbird to work. I need Firefox to work. I need Telegram to work. And that's it. And so I'm terrible at doing distro reviews. We review distros, and I'm terrible at it. I, I look at the, the distro, and I go, yep, it can do those five things. Great distro. Or nope, doesn't do those five, one of those five things. Terrible distro. That's all I expect from a computer. And that, that is not a high bar to me. And... I have used a, I've used every version of Ubuntu, starting back with 12.04, and I have never had an issue uh, with the the networking stack. I've never had large scale issues of this magnitude ever before until 16.04 came out, and it wasn't that way the night before 16.04 came out because the beta worked just fine. And ever the day that 16.04 came out, Ubuntu has been a downhill slide for me, and it's not just me that's having that problem. I have had that issue on this computer. I have issues on a brand new System76 Oryx Pro. I have issues on a System76 Lemur. I have issues on my son's X201 ThinkPad. I have issues on a Dell E4350, uh, 4530, something like that, uh, E-Series Latitude laptop. I have uh, an issue on my wife's, uh, uh, it's a, she have a uh, Lenovo IdeaPad. I have issues on my desktop at home, my, 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 my custom-built desktop where I specifically picked out parts that worked well with Linux. I've put a number of different distros on this very laptop sitting right in front of me, and I've not had any issues with the networking stack. Fedora works fine on it. Arch works fine on it. SUSE works fine on it. Elementary OS looks fine on it. 
even Ubuntu Mate, they have managed to fix the mess that Canonical has managed to cause inside of 16.10. And so, and today I've hit my boiling point. I am so livid. I, I don't know if it's coming through on camera. I am so upset about this uh, that I'm done. And so the search is starting for another distro that I'm going to replace on every machine I own. It's going on this office computer. It's going on my desktop here, my laptop here. It's going on my desktop at home. And then most importantly is I'm going to begin the, transition, the, the, the proce process of transitioning every user I've ever converted to Linux and put them on Ubuntu and start moving them over to something else. And that poses a whole series of problems because there are a couple of distros that are out right off the bat. I'm not going back to those people every six months and upgrading. So there goes Fedora. Until you guys can get a long-term support edition <coughs> out for Fedora, I can't use Fedora. Not even the Workstation Edition. I will not use Ubuntu at all. Um, I'm not a big fan of SUSE. I don't really think they have a lot of competitive advantage. Uh, and, and the other thing is, is there's just not a lot of other people using SUSE, which means that when customers go for support, when users are looking for help from their friends, it's going to be rather difficult. I'm not saying you guys don't have a user base, it's not a pejorative to you, but you just don't have the kind of user base I'm looking for. Uh, and so that basically leaves me with Antergos or Arch. And so I'm personally going to install Arch on my laptop and on my computers at home, namely because that's what everybody at J Jupyter Broadcasting is using. And so when I run into some problems, you know, I can bug them for help. But the other thing is my workflow will match up with their workflow. My software will be the same versions as their software. And Jupyter Broadcasting continues to become a bigger focus uh, these days in my life. And so I think that's where I'm going to be personally. As for everyone else, I think I'm going to move them over to Ubuntu Mate. Uh, unless it's a site that I frequent a lot, then I think I might stick that on Antergos and Arch 2. So consider this the start of the video. I'm going to take you guys through what uh, what my experience is, what my process is, and, you know, hopefully between Chris's experience and Rakai's knowledge, I won't have any real problems. Um, I'll be able to, to get most of the stuff sorted out. So we're, we're going to start that process, like, right now. So here we go. I'm going to download Antragos, and I'm going to get it installed right here on this laptop. Okay, as you can see, that actually went very smoothly. The Antragos installer does take much longer than... Uh, installing Ubuntu. I did notice that. But got Firefox, got Thunderbird, I have my drop-down GWAIC terminal, um, I have Chromium installed, Telegram, Slack, made some changes to File Manager, and I got uh, VirtualBox on there. So, uh, so far, so good. I've been using it for about an hour now, and uh, network has stayed solid. Everything just kind of worked out of the box. The only problem I'm having is I'm not able to disable this stupid um, tap-to-click on my laptop. Uh, and so I'm going to see if I can get a hold of uh, Beard and ask him for some help with that. But um, so far, so good. Uh, this, is, this is working. This is very, very uh, I'm really happy with this install. Um, let me see if I can get that tap to click uh, figured out, and then I will get back to you. And then we're also going to go to my house, and I'm going to do my desktop, and we'll get that machine wiped and installed with Arch as well. All right, we're down here in my basement, and... I just got Antergos up and running on uh, the computer behind me. Now, this is a very important desktop. It might be the most important computer that I have because while I shift around other operating systems, reinstall on my laptop, this one basically stays the same. Now, I really thought that was a good candidate for Antergos because in, my, in the past, my experience with the one Arch box that I have, which is actual Arch, never had to restore that computer. I've never once reinstalled the operating system. It showed up, I installed uh, Arch on it, and I've run it with Arch since day one. Um, that machine is probably three years old now at this point. 
and I've never reinstalled. So if I could get to that place on my desktop, especially this one, that would be really, really cool, especially because this particular machine has a, an array of hard drives in it that I use for various purposes as well as an array of displays. Now, right off the bat, Antrios is very much not as good as Ubuntu when it comes to managing multi-monitor support. I kind of knew that going in, um, but it's actually worse than I had expected. I'll show you a couple of the things that I'm talking about. So first, when I wake the computer up, my cursor always defaults to this monitor over here. Uh, even though this is not the primary monitor, I have no idea why, it just goes to the far left one. It also loses the order of the monitor. So if I, you would think I would go to the right to get to this monitor, but it actually jumps over to this display. I have to go all the way to the left, and then I keep going until I wind up here. Now in Ubuntu, no matter what mouse my monitor is on, I can always use the keyboard and actually log in. Not the case in Antigos. I actually have to be on the display that has the login manager, and then I can actually log in. Now the first time I did this, and this is what happens, this is just from a screen lock. It hasn't been restarted, and it takes that long for the displays to come back on. And again, that was not the case in Ubuntu. Ubuntu immediately unlocked. In fact, it was so fast that from the time I hit the, the button to wake the, the computer up, I could enter in my password and I'd hit enter. And before I could even get my hand to the mouse, the monitors had come on, the screen had unlocked, and I was back into my desktop. That time is actually drastically increased if I leave stuff running. So typically, my workflow is I have Telegram, Slack, IRC, and email up on this display. I use this for whatever it is I'm doing, and then I have a bunch of terminal windows on this far one, and then I have other stuff that runs on, on these, but I have them shut off because it, this, this is a nightmare enough. I'm having to close all of my windows every time I lock my computer. Otherwise, I simply, it just takes too long. It took so long that I actually, I had time to pull my phone out and film and say, look, there's something wrong. I think this computer is totally locked up. It hadn't locked up. It just was taking that long to log in. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so moving on to some of the actual problems, if I open Firefox and I go to, and this is another thing too, everything takes way longer to load. So if I go to, let's go to CNN.com, this doesn't happen on any other machine in the house, but it just sits there and spins and spins and spins and spins and spins. I'll take you upstairs. We'll go, I can have a conversation while we're waiting for CNN to load. It's ridiculous. Uh, we'll go upstairs and we will look at my, uh, my machine up there that I do recipes on. That's still running the usable version of Ubuntu. There we go. 14, well, it still hasn't correctly loaded. That's running 14.04 and it's on wireless. And I bet it loads in a tenth of the time that this thing loads. I mean, it just takes forever. It's it, uh, unbelievable. Um, so that's, that's one problem. But additionally, if I go to Simple Note, which again is going to take another 10 minutes to load, Simple Note doesn't, for whatever reason, just doesn't render right. And I, I haven't quite been able to diagnose if that's a problem um, with just the amount of time, whatever this problem is that's taking this forever to load. I'm wondering if that's not a similar problem with Simple Note because when I try to load Simple Note in Firefox, it just doesn't load the uh, the. I can't sign in. All I can see is my my email, and and you'll see that when it eventually comes up. Now I can the loading problem is persistent in Chrome and in Firefox. This particular loading thing. So this is all I get in Firefox is my email address and then tags. If I load it in uh, Chrome, Simple Note loads fine. Um, but everything is still ridiculously slow. Um, I didn't have any problems getting TeamViewer or Lightworks installed this time, which was good. That worked much, much smoother. Um, but I, there are still things that just don't quite work correctly. Um, I, uh, 
Yeah, and actually, on that note, TeamViewer, in order to get TeamViewer to work correctly, I have to manually start that daemon every single time I restart the computer. I've tried to enable it with uh, System D, just doesn't work for some reason. And, um, and so there, there are definitely some issues. It's, it's, it's interesting, though, it's, it's amusing, because out of all the problems, uh, uh, these probably seem like very major problems to a lot of people, it's honestly better than dealing with not having network access on your laptop when you're sitting in front of a client. Like, I can't really tell you how much I'm willing to put up with this over that. So there are some minor issues, and I'm going to continue to play with it. Again, I've just, I just got it installed. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna, gonna to play with it for a little bit and, and see how this works. But, uh, but so far, I think that this is going to be a better solution than Ubuntu, even the problems that stand. All right, so I've been playing with this for a little while now, and uh, a couple of things have come to light. Overall, I think it's a decent experience. Um, one is that the dock doesn't seem to understand, doesn't seem to talk to the Windows to let them know that, that the dock is there and fully expanded. Uh, so when I drop down my terminal, the left-hand side of the terminal just gets cut off by the dock, which is kind of frustrating. Um, F.lux does not work on Antrigos. I can't get it to work. I tried Redshift. I tried both the GNOME plugin from the extension site as well as trying to load it from the AOR. Can't get either of those to work correctly. Um, so there are some minor things that, that don't really work. Although, you know, again, coming into this, I knew before that I had issues getting certain applications to run under Antrigos, it's what kept me off of it for the longest time. And the things that I really need, like Lightworks and TeamViewer, those things are working. So I guess I can live without things like F.Lux. It was a really cool app, and I guess I can live without Redshift. Maybe somebody out there knows how to fix it. If you do, jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link and let us know. Um, but I'm still digging in. I finally got all my data put back on. I got, you know, my program is installed and, and stuff like that. And so it's going pretty well. Um, I need to go back to the laptop and see if I can start working on that uh, trackpad issue because uh, I need to get that fixed. Um, so I, I give this solid 9 out of 10. Uh, definitely some usability issues that are making me wonder if I can really stick with it long term. That, <clears throat> that, lo that web page loading thing, the longer I have to sit there waiting for things to load, the more irritated I'm becoming. And if it's like that now and I'm only a couple hours into it, what's it going to be like in a week or in a month? So I don't know. But um, let me go take a look at the laptop. Let me see if I can get the trackpad issue working. I had it fixed before I came down here. I installed G settings, G device setting, G pointer device settings. And that worked for a little bit, but now it's giving me some sort of error when I try and open the program. And so tap to click is not disabled again. And I can tell you that is a deal killer. If I can't get tap to click disabled, this whole experiment is out the window. So I think I just hit the microphone. Uh, so anyway, so uh, let's go take a look at the laptop. All right, Beard was able to get me set up with a command. It's not a perfect solution, but basically he gave me a command. It's sin client space max tap time equals zero, and we just put that into a script, and I'm just running that script when the computer starts up. So, uh, you know, not the perfect solution, but definitely a workable solution until I can get this problem solved in a couple weeks when I'm there on site and he can just fix it for me. Oh, no, I've got good news and i got bad news. I think okay. all but one of your problems is solvable. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah, that is good news. Yeah, so I'll tell you up front, the one I think might not be solvable, and I hate it too, is the issue you have with multi-monitor. Uh, you can make it better, but that – the so here's what's happening is when you are locking the screen – 
It's mm-hmm. it's starting another user session, so that way somebody else could sit down and use the computer. And uh-huh. what that's part of that delay you're experiencing is the switch back from user to user, and it even sometimes includes a video driver mode reset. Um, whereas with Unity, it's just locking the existing user session, and it doesn't do a switch user until you hit the button to switch user. So it's way right. faster. Yeah, I know. I like that a lot better myself. Uh, so one thing you one thing you could do is uh, you could switch to GDM. It's not that difficult. Okay. Uh, it's now, essentially. Did Leo not work his system by trying to use GDM on Arch? Was that not a thing? Maybe. Here's here's how you do it. Okay, it's really easy. Okay. Uh, you uninstall LightDM. You install GDM, and then uh, actually don't uninstall LightDM. Don't, don't make it even easier on yourself and less risk. Okay. Just there, it's all it's all documented in the Arch wiki. Actually, just uh, use the uh, system CTL to disable LightDM from starting. Starting up. Okay. And then install GDM. And then use system CTL. Actually, install GDM first. So install GDM, okay. disable light DM, and enable uh, GDM. And it might be like it's not. I don't think it's. I think it's like SSDM or something. Anyways, all. Yeah. If you look up in the Arch Wiki how to install GDM, it tells you the command to use to install it or to start it okay. to. So use that and and then reboot your system. Ah, that the commands right there in the. Oh, do they? Good, good. So, uh, yeah, then use your use your system. Then you'll notice that's a little bit better. But like even mine on a dual monitor setup. Uh, my GDM uh-huh. login shows up on like my vertical monitor. Yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> but it does it it does that session switching stuff faster. The other there might also just be like a generic screen locker you could look into that doesn't do the whole the whole monitor reset thing. Right. So but that's all. Uh, I, this probably didn't come out very clear in the video, but all of those things are minuscule because yeah. at least once I can work past those, I only mm-hmm. have to log into the computer. It, it, it is a disruption for my day for 15 seconds at yeah. the beginning of my computing session, but then the rest of it is flawless. So I got a couple more I don't have apps you. crashing. So I don't network the entire time. One note. So you, you noted the installer for Anagros was much slower than Ubuntu. You probably know this already, but just for the audience's right. knowledge, the reason for that is Anagros is downloading the packages live. So you are getting the latest kernel, the latest GNOME desktop, the latest icons as they're installing. So after you install your system, you don't have to like install updates. You are current. The, the trade off the trade-off there is that the ISO downloads in like 15 seconds versus like 45 minutes to download. And the if you have a slowish connection or if you're on a mirror that's slow, there is um, there is a cool script that you can run. It's called Reflector. Just uh, search for Arch Reflector and then you install the Reflector package and also install rsync. So that way you can do some speed tests. And then there's actually a complete command you can run if you want to just copy and paste it. We never recommend that. But there's a complete command that runs Reflector. It tells you all it, – it tests 100 arch mirrors or something like that. And it puts the fastest one in your mirrors file. And so you get the fastest so, – so Google search arch reflector and do that. So that way you get faster downloads. Um, and that will help when you – so that way when you're installing packages, it goes much faster. Then the other thing I want to talk about is the dock settings. So the dock is particularly yeah, – yeah, that's particularly uh, tricky. So I'll show you. Here's my – let's see. Here's my ran, random background bites us with uh, – not bad. Okay. So uh, see how I do my dock here? Uh-huh. And then watch. When I do – when I bring down Quake, you see how my dock hides? Oh, okay. So you leave that intelligent hide You might want to try it. It's not so bad. And I've learned how to work with it. I actually, though, I find it looks better if you don't have it go edge to edge. And if you run it, okay. if you run it like I have mine. So those of you on the audio podcast, I have my GNOME doc, <clears throat> which, is just a, which is just a GNOME extension. 
It's not uh, it's not like a, a dedicated software package. I have my GNOME doc that is on the left side of my screen, and I have it use the IntelliHide feature because there are some things like Gwake that sometimes get in the way, and so that's uh, that's how I solve that problem. So you might want to just play with those GNOME tweak settings, no, and just see what works best for you there. I, I just changed that on my laptop. And then the other thing I was going to ask you too is there was a uh, but I saved it for the show. Are you proud? The uh, <laughs> there was a there was a tweak that you did to my laptop back when we were doing a Fedora review. To make the title bar thinner, so it mm. wasn't you know it didn't take. A- I probably screen. changed your gnome shell theme. So the default oh. gnome shell theme is a little thick. Yeah, uh, let me show you the one I'm using now. It's probably it's probably just there is an arc gnome shell theme that you can install from the AUR. Yeah, that's uh, what we have on the laptop. Yeah, so I'm using arc. I'm using the arc dark uh, gnome shell theme. Okay. Okay. Arc dark that for GTK. Your, that made your there, your window at the top. Uh, well, so when I I have two. I have that. Yeah, so watch watch my machine as I as I don't can you see it okay if I change yep, it to default? Yep. You see how it just got bigger and wider? Can here uh Oh, I meant the I meant the title uh, sorry, not the not the bar, not the activities bar at the top. Oh, the oh, oh, oh. Uh, on the window itself. Oh, so you're talking like my my title bars on my like my Yes, exactly. That's just like the arc where your mouse That's is the arc dark. A R C dark. What are you using? So uh oh yeah. Well you're right. Okay. All right, never mind. I'm just an idiot. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I have the Mocha okay. Icon theme pack now, and I yeah. like that. So you might you might play with some of those settings there. I'll tell you something else that you might consider. Actually, I'll solve one of your other problems. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, Chris already solved it for you last week. If you just want something super simple and easy, just mm-hmm. install Xflux. Remember I've said this before? Xflux, and then just in Quake, run Xflux-Z, your zip code, enter, and it will take care of it. Now, Redshift, there's a, I'll link it in the show notes, there is a Redshift GTK package in the AUR that you can install. Mm-hmm. Always works for me. I think I mentioned this last week, too. I also can't get Flux to work under Arch. So if anybody has yeah. a tip for that, I would like to know. But I use Redshift GTK. And works great for me. Oh. And otherwise, Xflux, if you just want to manually pop it off from time to time, that's what I like. So Redshift is my set it and forget it. And it, for those of you who don't know, we talked about this last week, it tints your screen color. So it kind of looks like somebody peed on your screen. But it's easier on your eyes in the night if you're working late and you don't have a lot of lights on like we often do. So it's nice from that standpoint. And I have it on all my devices now. And it's good and consistent. But every now and then there's a couple of machines where maybe I'm editing and I don't want my color changed. Right. And that's a great right. candidate for Xflux. So I can pop it off under Quake when I want it, but otherwise it's off by default. And it's just a little mm-hmm. standalone. It's probably in the AUR too. So that's and then and then here's something I have for your consideration. So okay. you mentioned you might switch some other folks over to Arch uh, right. and see how that goes. Consider yeah. having your cake and eating it too. And consider doing Anagros, but selecting the option to use the LTS kernel. So that way your kernel isn't getting updated as often. And the reason why I like that is, first Mm -hmm. of all, the LTS kernel is solid. The second thing I like about that is it also means you're probably targeting um, less video driver updates. Uh The only thing you have to keep in mind is you also have to install the LTS version of the video driver. So if you're installing an NVIDIA driver... You need to install uh-huh. the LTS version of the kernel modules because you're getting LTS sure. stuff now. But then your kernel's changing only a couple of times a year, only a few times a year versus... You, you should take this as a personal compliment. Do you know what I'm waiting for before I make my final decision of what I'm switching everyone else to? Hmm. A certain episode we may or may not be recording at the end of not next week, but the week after. Oh, okay. And see what happens there okay. and, and, and see what, what, you know, what 
what decisions you make in that scenario. And I think that will give me okay. a little bit of a, an idea of what to, to so, take. So those home. are my ideas. Those are some ideas. But I'd like to hear the audience's ideas, too, if you guys have any uh, suggestions. I'm looking at the chat room right now, see if they have anything else to throw at you. But, uh, oh, 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 God, we got to talk about the network. Oh, my God, I can't believe I almost forgot. Jeez. <laughs> That, I swear, has got to be resolution. I wonder if it's doing like IPv, if it's attempt, attempting to do IPv6 first and then failing back to that IPv4. That was my thought, was that it's some sort of IPv6 nonsense. Or it's because DNS. It, What's your, have you looked, well, you, look, you looked at your DNS, right? Have you even, have I, you, of course. And, have you, and here's the thing, that should only happen the first time because once it yeah. resolves, then it should locally cache and then it should pop back up the second time. But it doesn't do that. I wonder if you and played around with like, if you played around with DIG or NSLOOKUP or whatever the hell on the command line, because it'll, it'll give you back the, the response right. times. Because yeah. it's, uh, I'll, uh, yeah, I mean, Firefox is, is, is not like it's some performance piece, but that was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, too, is like even if you put the IP address in directly, it takes forever to just to actually connect and load the page, which is really weird. Like even local stuff. No, that's so I don't know. I've but, never but I've never had that All problem. Of that is more tolerable than not having any networking whatsoever on my laptop. I don't know if I can quite stress that enough. Applications l- taking longer to load. That's particularly curious. Are you doing spinning media or is it SSD? No, it's SSD. But the, the my excuse, the, the excuse I wrote up for that was pre-caching. That, um, there's probably caching happening. Caching is number one. Number two, that last system, like I'm going from an uh, from an Ubuntu machine that I literally hadn't restarted since the day I moved into my house a year ago, and now I well, I mean it's not quite true, but very close to that. If I do, I don't even remember. And I'm going to a fresh install, so everything is half those programs are loading for the very first time ever. So yeah. I'm not really putting a lot of stock into it, and, and, they, and, and they might you know. be newer versions too. Right, right, yeah. And well, actually, and the entire desktop, you know, is 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 drastically. I mean, that was that was, that was on there before it was 1404. Hmm. So I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's jumping ahead two years worth of applications, worth of desktop, worth of whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, the, the, it's not brand new hardware. It's a, it's you know, it's a, it's a second gen generation okay. i7. Okay. So. And and Chrome has the same load time issue, so it's it yes. seems to be a system issue. I think you should. I would say play around with trace route and trace path and, and ping and dig and and just just verify all the just at the most basic command line where you get actual numbers back and actual useful information. Right. Because that is solvable. And like I said in the chat, I bet you a Chinese lunch that there it's it's either IPv6 or DNS or it's something network level. It's just that's not clear. even if it's an arch even thing. if I lose just just to be clear, even if I lose. The, the debate here, we still go for Chinese. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. We're gonna it's gonna be huge. I would say also you might dig around. There is there is always Noah's luck that you happen to install Anagros right where they're having some sort of weird networking issue. And the nice thing is the Anagros community is large enough now that you can go in the forums and you can read and see if other people are having the same issue. You know, probably it's like Firefox taking forever to load or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, what and which uh, which AUR manager did you end up going with? And, I have, I have two two different ones. I'm using PackAUR on my desktop, mm-hmm. and I'm using Packer on my laptop. Mm-hmm. PackAUR was a recommendation from the beard. Yeah. And I'd already had the laptop reinstalled at that point. Yeah. but I, I like them both. The I, I like them both, yeah. I'm trying to move over to PackAUR, but uh, I kind of like the fact that PackAUR doesn't require me to do the tac-tac no confirm. It mm. just answers all the questions. I always do it. I always do that, though. So that's, that's old yeah, hat that's for me now. With yeah. package UR, you just install the package. It just assumes if I manage to type the command to install the package, yes, I want to install the package. <laughs> Need to confirm. I'm going to be curious to see how this goes for you because I honestly, it, it it goes against any any reasonable logic. But for some reason, the three systems I rely on to be absolutely perfect every oh, single day are working just fine, and they're all arch based. So true. 
That's so true. And I have I have a, I have a T four twenty that I bought like four years ago or five years ago and installed it. Like that's that's real arch. And I installed it like four or five years ago, and I I have solved a lot of problems on it. It's mm. done a ton of tweaking. I would never mm-hmm. want to go through and redo that machine again. Mm-hmm. But it has never crashed. It mm-hmm. still boots and it still works and it's up to date. And so like if I could get that experience, even if it takes me six months to tweak this until mm-hmm. I get it how I like it on mm-hmm. the desktop, it's worth. I know it seems counter obvious, and I'm not saying it's fully like this, and I don't mean to draw a complete comparison, but there are elements of Arch right now that remind me of Debian seven, eight years ago. Like there's, there's components from their sort of, from the, there's, there's flavors of the community aspect about it. The fact, the, the end result that I get from it and the feeling that I get from art systems that I've now have in production for a long time. That it, the only thing is, and this is a great r- rule to follow. Beard's rule is if it's a system you don't touch every two weeks, don't put arch on it. And, uh, and I think there's some exceptions to that. I think if you play with the LTS kernel and stuff, you could probably push that to every three, four weeks. But, um, yeah, I think you probably can push a little further than that, actually, if it's not a very complicated system. But I'll tell you what, if it's a system I use on a regular basis and I can update it every two weeks or so, that rule of thumb has served me so well with Arch that it's kind of boring because they're systems I set up once and I never am setting them up again. Like, I'm not reloading them. They're just running fine. And there used to be a school of thought I used to have is, well, you know, next time I reload this box, I'm going to try doing this. And I, I, I can't think like that anymore because I'm not reloading boxes. Right. Except, Which I mean, actually is what, where I want to be because I hate nuking and paving my box. Like it just there, it, and this it happened this time. I spent how long did I spend backing my laptop up before I, I wiped a bunch off of it? I mean, I, it was literally till like like eight o'clock or nine mm-hmm, o'clock at night, right? Mm-hmm, Still mm-hmm. lost something. That was, I had yeah. a virtual box that ran yeah. the my light control stuff. Yeah. Got to back that up. So this is this is where uh, I'm going. Like there's certain like task based computers, uh, like this machine yeah. I'm talking to you on right now. I'm I'm just going to do every Ubuntu release on this because it's just a task based computer and it needs a web browser and it needs Skype uh, and uh, Mumble it needs mm-hmm. it needs a web browser for WebRTC, Skype for Skype calls, and Mumble for mm-hmm. Mumble stuff, and that's all it needs. And I just don't need it to do anything else. And I don't want to update it every couple of weeks. I want it to just sit there. Right. So it's I'm just gonna, an appliance. Yeah, those are that's how I'm using. I know this sounds counterintuitive, but that's how I'm using Ubuntu. And on the mm-hmm. systems I want to last me three, four, five years, I'm going Arch Linux. Right, and and, I, and it's just a different kind of long term for me. I'm I'm I'm, I'm my own long term support, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really going to be following this with some interest, just like I'm following that uh, Movember beard you're growing with some interest. I'll be, I'll be following your switch to Arch, and uh, and you know what? Seriously, you just you, so I think I think if you go back through the chat room and the things I've suggested, all of your yeah. current problems could be solved, and I bet you'll have a whole crop of new ones when you come out here. So we'll we'll figure those out. But that is Noah's crazy switch to Arch Linux. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we get out of here, we have some emails. Some people want to kick my butt. And then there's another email I haven't read. Oh, yeah, it's about Flux. Man, we got some emails that we're, <laughs> we're just going to get right to here in a moment. I'm looking forward to it. But first, I'll tell you what, something that's got a special treat for you. Somebody out there is thinking about you. They're like, boo, I want you to get something new. And that's System76. Go over to System76.com and get yourself a powerful computer. Born, designed, created, custom built. To run Linux, system76.com. Man, there has been some S going down with laptops these days, and they have some nice ones. Starting with the Lemur at 14 inches and $699 all the way up. Well, they got the Oryx Pro, which, man, that's a seller. But they also got the Serval Workstation, which is a monster, and then the Bonobo Workstation, which if you ever were curious how crazy you could go with a laptop, go check those rigs out. I get contacted from people all the time. 
getting the Oryx Pro. That is such a nice rig. And when you see what the other manufacturers consider Pro machines these days, and then you go look at System76, they're real computers to get work done, and they run Linux so good. They've also got desktops you can get. I like the Meerkat and the Sable. Those are two really interesting machines that would go so good in office. For myself, the Rattel Performance or the Wild Dog would fit my budget perfectly. And if I was building it for the studio, the Leopard Workstation, brand new model, so, so nice. And I think just for a limited time, too. Uh, boop, 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 right here. Check it out. I got the link embedded in the show notes for you guys. To celebrate the awesome traffic the System76 has been getting post-Apple event, uh, if you add hashtag switch to System76 or hashtag switch to 76 Hashtag Noah switched me to Linux. Put something like that in there too, right? Let them know it came from us. That's right. That's right. They'll waive ground shipping. This is that's nice. That that might just push a few people over the edge. Put hashtag switch to seventy six and hashtag or or put something there like uh, like uh, I really bought this computer because of Noah. Something like that. System seventy six dot com and don't forget to let them know that we sent you and a big thank you to System seventy six for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay, now it's good. Let's get to the emails. Or people tear me a new one. Noah, you take the All first right, one. Sounds good. Actually, the, <laughs> I have some good news for you. Nobody's tearing you a new one. Andrew oh, okay. D writes in to say that you were right. Oh, really? Because says, I, <laughs> I think Chris is dancing. I can use a win right now. <laughs> I think Chris's stance on Lenovo being a being a problem, how they should be ashamed for building a non-Linux computer, was right. Oh, was off target. Well, why did you say things to your friends? Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> yes, Intel is the issue here, but not Lenovo. If Microsoft or any other company goes to a hardware manufacturer, asks for a feature specifications to make their product stand out in this case battery battery life then there is no reason why the hardware <laughs> manufacturer should not do that okay let's just stop here because i just think it's really important to point out you actually were the first person to say that intel should share some blame with this yeah i did so in fact you are right okay all right i guess that's that's not what he that's not how he feels but that is true i did say that. i here's where my here's where my beef is with the nova just to sum it up really quickly my only beef is that at the end of the day the buck stops with them and they shipped a product that wasn't good enough and the the reason it wasn't good enough is they just didn't give a shit about Linux users, and they were mm-hmm. just trying to make Microsoft happy. That's that's my only issue with it. I still think the mo- the, the majority of the blame goes to Intel for not playing ball. But uh, all right, so James S. writes in. Uh, he says, F-Lux is approved by me. Hello, this is James from uh, past last chat rooms, and I recently saw that both of you were using F-Lux, and I have been having back and other pain and was wondering if this would help. He says, doubtful to most, but between using Flux and staying out of the sunlight and considering the medications I'm on, I thought maybe I would give it a try. What have I got to lose, right? I'm in the process of saving money for building a new uh, Linux business and want to express my sincerest thanks to the developers of this program, as well as to you at JB for putting Flux program in the spotlight. I no longer have much joint or back shoulder pain and thought I was, uh, and though I was having seizures and falls, I have none. I've had none since Monday or last week. Thanks to you and to those developers, I'm potentially leading a new life. Thanks so much. Do you think Isn't this is cool? Wow. And like, it's, in, it's interesting how light uh, seems to affect it. I mean, I do know that light and seizures can be related. That's right. incredible. But it just, it's kind of cool because, like, we do the show, but, like, you don't really – I mean, you would never really anticipate it having that kind of drastic effect on somebody's life. So it was just, I, I kind of saw that, and it just kind of was like, that's really cool. That is really cool, and it's nice of James to – be brave enough to share that with us. And if you'd like to leave us a note, even if you don't, even if you're not feeling brave, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown. Content, links, suggestions, uh, feedback for this particular show is also welcome at our subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. He's at Kernelytics on Twitter. He's also got the business on Twitter at Altaspeed, right? At Altaspeed. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I never would have guessed. And I'm at Chris LAS, the LAS. 
stands for Linux Action Show. And you can uh, meet me next week if you're in the California area. Just go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting and sign up. The day, the day and time may change. So I advise that you do sign up for it. And don't forget, you, you can tune in live except for next week. We won't be live next week because we're double recording this week for uh, a trip I'm going on. But we'll be back to our regular schedule, which you can find over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. I'm the Walmart user of shavers. Like You use this term. I, now I, you're I, using this all the time. Now you're busting out the Walmart thing like it's a gem when you use it once or twice. Because... Jeez. No, but 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 Rakai gave me the title, and it is so freaking fitting. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I mean, like, I've never been like Eureka. That describes me more than when he was like, "You are a generic Walmart person." It's just so true. And so when I shave, here's how I shave: I stand in the shower. I'm not in front of a mirror. I don't have shaving cream. I just, I take. There's a razor that sits on in inside the shower, and I grab it, and I just go. Okay. All right. Hey, Cairo. Hey, Tyrone. Hey, Tyrone. Why don't you bang some guests? Hey, Tyrone. Hey, Tyrone. Why don't you bang some guests more? Hey, Tyrone. Why didn't you tell me my cup was in the shot? Hey, Tyrone. 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 Hey, no. Could you quit screwing around, please? Yes. Actually, I should go get water. Keep screwing around for a couple more minutes. Okay. <laughs> I haven't had breakfast yet. Oh, that's not true. That's not true. I actually, that's right. I right before I went I had on some air, buttercream coffee with some no, butter. Not today. Cream. Not today. You're such a jerk. First of all, you can't have cream in it. That would break my fast. You jerk. You don't even understand me. You don't listen to me. And then my other problem. No, what I here's what I did. This is I, I decided at ten o'clock I was breaking my fast. So, uh, so around ten thirty, I uh, did got me a couple of these really interesting microwave meals because Rikai recommended you know this particular brand, and so I was like, all right, well this guy he knows about us. So I got I got this thing in there. That man knows frozen food. The first couple were pretty good. The last one I held off on because it was chicken and waffles in a microwave meal, right? Like I'll I'll go down on some. I'll just eat like the shit out of some like super fresh waffles, and man, I'll just like love on some good chicken with some syrup on like a maniac. I'll I'll get down on that. Like I'll just go all over it. Hold on, chicken like chicken like with with syrup. How can you not have fucking heard of this? Are you serious? Are you I'm shitting dead me? serious. I'm dead serious right now. We do not put chicken on waffles with syrup. That's true. Chicken and waffles that's not, that's is a but southern... I've been to the deep south and I've never seen, I've never seen anyone put chicken on waffles. All right, dude, chicken and waffles is a southern tradition. It's a, it's a staple. It's a southern t- staple. You could get it all over the place. You could What's chicken there? and waffles is is American cuisine. It's soul food at its very and best. Put, it's soul food for breakfast. And, and you put and you put syrup on it. Fuck yeah, you put syrup on it. Damn it, Noah. Damn it, what is the matter with you? This coming from the man that's not heard of walleye? Like <laughs> What? Noah! Noah, no! You know what I feel like right now, Noah? You know what I feel like right now? Yeah. You feel like I broke you. You feel like that you <laughs> <laughs> Chicken and waffles, right, dude. I tell you what, the next time I'm uh, the next time I head to Fargo, which is the deep south for me, I will. 
The best-known chicken and waffle pairing comes from American soul food tradition that uses fried chicken. The waffle is served as much as it would be with brec- at breakfast time. Uh, you get butter and syrup on it. This is uh, this unusual combination of foods is beloved by people who are influenced by traditions of soul food passed down from past generations of their family. This version of the disc is particularly popular in Baltimore, Maryland, and enough to become a well-known local custom. And now, it's world famous. So I got Didn't this. Make it to North Dakota. So I got this. I got this. It's like basically little kid chicken strips and a, mm-hmm. and two pieces of waffle. And then they include like a legit syrup packet that you have to take out. They put a big sticker, don't microwave. And then it's like it's like a it's like a microwave pizza thing where it's got like foil on the bottom and then it's got foil on the top. And you rip the top of the lid off and then you smash it down so it's touching the food. That's what it says to do. You got to touch the food with the metal and then you microwave it for four minutes. Okay. And it was it was better than I expected, but you know it's. I don't know how you. How do you put bread in a microwave? It didn't. It wasn't as hard as I was. Like four minutes. I'm thinking a piece of bread for four minutes is going to be a rock right. in the microwave. Yeah. And it wasn't. So I'd like to know how they pulled that off.